Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And now, The Rathband Tapes. Episode 9. 15 Minutes of Fame. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is, welcome to The Rathband Tapes. My name is Tony Horn in Lancashire, England, in South Australia. David Rathband's twin, Darren. In this episode, let's look at, I suppose, one of the fallouts from this entire story. Everybody will be world famous for 15 minutes, a chap called Andy Warhol once said. I think many of us that are slightly older will have had conversations with people who are slightly younger, and we say to them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And increasingly, I hear the response, I just want to be famous. To which the follow-up is, yeah, but what do you want to do? <laughs> and there are some paths in life, of course, that lead naturally to fame, sport and entertainment and politics being amongst them. Some people are going about their business, leading ordinary lives, and for want of a better phrase, have fame thrust upon them. Whether that be the McCanns, or PC David Rathband, everything changes overnight. There's an upside to that fame, and there's a downside to that fame. The press are fickle, the press have their favorites. Off the top of my head, People they've tormented over the years, from Darren Day to Caroline Flack, and people who seem to just be vetoed and can almost do nothing wrong. Dare I say it, one of the Northeast's finest sons, Ant McPartland. <laughs> <laughs> 
So let's have a brutally honest case study about fame. And let's go back to what Darren said in the episode Senses Working Over Time. Uh, Tony, you'll know that the press friends, like we got off the plane, there was press, we were pushed into an unmarked police car, there was press outside the hospital, there was stories, there were stories already released in the tabloids. And we, obviously I then thought, well, I'm going to look after my brother. I'm going to make sure he gets looked after. So I, I was busy. So that, and that was the good thing. But that, later on, that becomes a bit of a bad thing because it sort of comes, certainly comes around and smacks you and says you're in trouble. So, Darren, you arrived from South Australia, and this is a scenario where you're in new territory. I guess perhaps once or twice maybe some court cases involved with your police work have hit the news, but nothing on this scale. No, certainly not where you're at the front of it, Tony. Um, there was a, a case that I was involved in when I was in Darleston that was uh, a pretty high-profile murder, but uh, obviously that focuses on the victim and the circumstances. Um, but we'd be certainly uh, up front or certainly in the second row. Not the best place to be, I would suggest. And there's the first rule, I think, of fame, that when you are thrust into it, you are behind the ball game from the off, aren't you? As you explained in that clip. Yeah, I, I think certainly the powers that be, the press, they've already got their storyline and they already know which way they want to go with it. There's either a good, bad or middle ground. And you've got to, I think... As a member of the public, if you are thrust into it, you've, you've got to know which side you're on to start off with. Well, there can only be one moral high ground in this story, that's for sure. But what becomes evident over a period of time, hence Darren's comments, is that there is an equal amount of narrative being given to both sides, or perhaps an unequal amount of narrative, but a hefty amount of narrative to both sides, an unequal because we know that there was this Moat is a Hero. We know that um, this lady in Burnley, Siobhan O'Dowd, set up this Facebook group, and this all gets airtime. That's, what, that's what's bad about everything about Facebook, because it allows a platform for ill-informed, ignorant horrible people to have a voice but then you have the option to choose to delete or block so I suppose it's free speech in it that's David at his um, best and David at his best is brutally blunt and I think David and I subscribe to the same theory which is that it's sort of alright to give idiots a platform because reasonably minded people whose kindness he adored can see through the, the nonsense and that is a minority and it is a nonsense isn't it i think tony if if you keep all the idiots together in one room the normal people <laughs> become less affected by them so facebook in that position is is really good thing for that because all those morons that followed uh, that uh, that story of him being a hero were all together and people with a moral compass that has north south East and West know exactly where they stand. Uh, and you know what? They're the people that other people want to be engaged with. We will see and we will show how the relationship with the press invariably comes 
full circle. Or if you want to maybe put it another way, as you are becoming famous, you know, you climb a mountain and you reach a peak. And then when things go out of control, you really ski down the other side very, very fast and can come to a crashing end. The comment about the x-rays in the papers is very interesting. How on earth they got there, I don't have the answer to that. I mean, clearly, that's a breach of client confidentiality, isn't it? Do we know how they got there? Do you, do you mean the x-ray where all the pictures, uh, the pictures show how many um, bits of steel are in his face, Tony? Yeah, was that authorised, the release I, of that? I would hope so, because that's certainly, if not a breach of medical standards, and I would suggest that probably was to, I think, emphasise how seriously David was injured. Uh, I think that may have been used as sort of a ploy in regards to get the public on Moat's side, on David's side, I think. I'm not sure. I, I, I would assume, Tony. I'd hope so. Yeah, and let's just remember the context of that. So we're talking in the first couple of days or so, as Darren lands back in the UK. And David's stance at this point is the noble, brave policeman who as we've discussed before, bears no malice, but actually does, and is already intent on preserving evidence for the trial of the two accomplices. Now, one thing that's really interesting here, and look, you know, I had a big radio show in the mornings for over 20 years. All I ever wanted to do was be near radio. I'm not daft. I understand that public property comes with that job. And here's the slight contradiction or a slight conflict, in fact, that I want to put out there. I can think of moments that happened in my personal life. For example, when my children were born, I never said anything on the air in during the pregnancies. And then suddenly we have a child. So I tried to manage, if you like, what should remain private. Unfortunately, press and public don't see matters like that because they would always say to me stuff like, well, you put yourself out there on your radio show. And I would say, yes, but I decide which bits I put out there. But people will always come back at you with, well, you make yourself fair game. So there's no sort of understanding in the general conversation about fame of the bits that you try to control. We talked in a previous episode about David's release from hospital and the staging of a picture. The staging of a picture, really, to protect him and also a deal that had been done with a newspaper the deal being done, so we've got funds for, for example, medical procedures that David needed, like his teeth, that he wasn't getting funded for. So 
that photo was to protect the integrity of that deal, but also to avoid the feeding frenzy of exiting the hospital just two weeks after he's been left for dead. So at that stage, if you like, one is in control of the media. But time and time again, however much you try to decide what you put out there, people do want a piece of you. And as time goes on, as we climb that mountain, of course everybody is very, very favourable to David. Understand David's motivations for being public. Between you and me, that's why I've been doing what I've been doing for the last six months. It's not, you know, it wasn't uh, like, you know, my intention wasn't to be a, a celebrity, as some people say. It was for a reason. Darren, what's your stance as is fame, and I hate that word, and notoriety implies something slightly negative. I don't know what the correct choice of language is, but what's your stance as it builds and builds and builds towards the annual autumn Pride of Britain coverage in the UK? Do you just go with the flow? Are you sitting there smiling? Or do you, is there a, a little voice in your head that says this is all going to blow up? No, I think to start off with, it was... It was certainly something that was expected, Tony. Uh, and like you say, the, the Sun newspaper, we got, well, I got that an exclusive with David to trust, try and sort of shield him from that cascade of press reporters. Once he was with the Sun, then hopefully that would, would sort of protect him from that. What I was aware of initially was there are a lot of people that want to get involved with somebody that becomes more of a, not a celebrity, because David wasn't a celebrity, but more interesting than others, the hangers on. So David started becoming isolated very, very early on in the piece. So the people that were gathering around him were people that I didn't trust and I didn't even know half of them. So that was the first concern and that was the first warning that I made. Well, you could argue that I was a hanger on, but I like to think that I stayed the course and I like to think that when we worked together on the book, the reason I've got so many hours worth of material is because, well, we became, we became close and we talked about everything, anything and everything. And I think as time went on, that isolation is very important because David has to trust, but all around him, he sees organizations such as the Police Federation, such as Northumbria Police, that he does begin to question. And they're people that represent him and he works for. So you would inevitably become wary of the press. And I think there is a really important role in the press in David's life in that, to a degree, that public role gave him those reasons to continue, gave him energy. But I think he wasn't superficial about it. I think he understood it. The way the press work, they try to find stuff out that the police know that can't tell them, or they think they're finding stuff out the police don't know, and that's dangerous. But as time went on, he didn't want to do everything. I just wish people had realised 
when no means no, it oh, means no. no. I think he had an awareness, Darren, of, of you know what was going on there, and we'll see in a minute his attitude towards politicians and and royalty. But when that Pride of Britain ceremony comes along, I don't recall watching it. I'm aware that was an incredibly powerful moment. I mean, it's always a heartbreaker of a TV show to watch. And I think it does, bar possibly the odd lifetime achievement, honour people who've gone beyond the call of duty in the last 12 months. But I suppose Pride of Britain traditionally, I think, is October. I may be wrong. It's all still relatively yesterday, isn't it, by the time that happens? Yeah, that's certainly... Um, there's no time from the time David got shot. And what I would say is the the build-up to the Pride of Britain was all in the positive tone. Um, David was seen as somebody who'd done his duty, helped others, uh, unfortunately been left injured, and his life changed forever. Uh, and what we've got to remember is the Pride of Britain, uh, David got one of the most or the highest votes for one uh, for that position uh, ever received from Pride of Britain. And I know that because I got a call from people that were producing it asking me to come over to the UK. I know there's a picture in the House of the Pride of Britain Awards. I think it's him and Cheryl Cole, once Tweedy. Interesting that you may recall on the steps of the courtroom that as David with all that relief at the verdict for Ness and Awan is in a parallel courtroom to Andrew Tweedy, Cheryl's brother who was being sent down for some criminal activity and you know Cheryl's a Geordie girl come good, made the most of her abilities and David Honorary Geordie, you know, Geordies always get together. Did I say to her when I met her at the bloody um, thing, I, said, oh, I can't remember, I, put, I said, would you mind if I put my arm around? And she said, oh, no, not at all. I said, oh, I've never seen you in Newcastle. And she laughed and I went, uh, mind, I says, uh, you're a bit of a st- oh, that was it. I says, oh, you're a bit of a stunner, aren't you? And she went, oh, thank you. <laughs> even, even blind. Uh, still flirting with the ladies. <laughs> I think I think him and Paul stayed up till about half past three in the morning with uh, with her at the award show. Tony uh, enjoying uh, each other's customer. Uh, sorry, enjoying each other's uh, company. Well, I think that was. It's a TV show that gets massive audiences at a time, obviously, when people are staying in. The nights are getting darker. We're in that grueling trudge towards Christmas. It's a show that warms the hearts that have been broken. And possibly, you know, that is the the peak of his fame. And I repeat, I don't see David as a, a commodity. We're just trying to explain and analyze 
I suppose, what inevitably went wrong later. And here's a marker I will put down for you. Do you know who presented David with his Pride of Britain award? It was Nick Clegg. On the night, Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg said, it's overwhelming to see people like David quite rightly honoured on an evening like this for unimaginable courage. These are difficult times for the country, who always are. And what I think is so great about an evening like this, honouring people like David, is it just shows you there are people who do extraordinary things in their own lives. David said, the nicest thing for me is the decent general members of the public quietened down the scourge of what was very unsavoury at the time. And I'm grateful for that. It is indicative of this country that there's lots of nice people out there and a very small minority that spoil it for the others. I was doing my job and I would do it again tomorrow. A couple of points there. That last line has echoes of I bear them no malice. Do you think that if we were able to turn back the hands of time, do you think that's true? Do you think David would have wanted to be in that car again? Tony, I think he'd, like, if you put him in a position where he had to sort of save somebody's life, he'd do it again. But put him on his own, um, I would certainly put a caveat to it. And that would, I'd do it again as long as Northumbria Police Control Room gave me a warning one minute before I got shot. And to Nick Clegg, let me tell you a little bit about politics here. Let's get into the relationship with politics and fame. Nick Clegg was in Gateshead speaking, I believe, at the Sage on the day of David's first funeral. He was giving a speech, I understand, about that old Liberal Democrat favourite inheritance tax. The Sage is... five minutes from Newcastle Cathedral. I have to conclude that Nick Clegg couldn't be bothered to come to David's first funeral. There were a couple of politicians there. I wrote to Downing Street afterwards to ask why Nick Clegg wasn't there. Frankly, I thought it was disgusting. And my opinion of him is formed forever. Alongside, of course, that conundrum in politics that he essentially sold out to get a seat in government, went back on many Liberal Democrat policies and became Deputy Prime Minister. A scenario that couldn't continued the coalition and guess what he lost his seat at the next election and then i think went off to work for facebook but why would you not when you are that close find time for the man that you have stood next to and given an award to i think the relationship with the politicians david understood he was surprised when he was mentioned in Parliament 
Didn't he say something about um, he he'd spoken to Facebook and told them that it was um, whatever it was? I can remember listening on the news that he it reached on the House of Commons. He is David Cameron. The Facebook obviously is the moat is a hero scenario. Many politicians said nice things about David. I've thought about this often. Whilst not all politicians deserve to be tainted with the same brush, David's just another detail in their day. And when David Cameron supposedly talks to Facebook about hate speech, it is just use of David to pursue an agenda. David Cameron is trying to send the message, I am in charge of hate speech. And David Rathband didn't think too much of it. I think that, that those, those few days, it's like I said to you, I thought the whole world was against me because it was all Ralmote. Like Ralmote this, Ralmote legend, Ralmote hero, Ralmote Facebook, Ralmote this. You know what I mean? It was me lying in a bleeding hospital bed, really flapping around the walls. I, uh, it was horrible, that was. And I didn't really see the significance of Cameron reading out my name or the issues in the House of Commons. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, this is what politicians do. They align themselves to ordinary people to steal a march on an agenda that's already rumbling. Theresa May was the Home Secretary at the time. Would have been nice if the Home Secretary had actually have come instead of sending me a scruffily handwritten letter. <laughs> the strange thing is, we talked in previous episodes about trains being on a collision course. Uh, this is a unique moment because one of Theresa May's juniors in the Home Office did go and visit David, and that person happens to be one of my oldest and dearest friends, the late James Brokenshaw, who was the Northern Ireland Secretary, the first person I met at university. So I didn't know that James had gone to see David and 
at the time I wasn't writing the book, so I wasn't discussing it with James. But again, an example there of stories sort of on a collision course. I think these people are, are human beings. There's no doubt about it. Somehow David has got worked into the political agenda. I think the thing is, Tony, and the, the listeners to this podcast and people in normal, um, normal, the general public, there's two words, there's a couple of words that come to mind. Lip service, and they want to be relevant. Because the public, as well as you and I know, members of parliament, they're not relevant to general working class. Uh, and the lip service is to make sort of get them get that connection for them and that's all david was lip service he was lip service after he was shot lip service after he died and he's still lip service now i agree with that 100 percent. prince charles as he was did slightly better in david's opinion prince charles's letter is a typed letter and he's underlined the prominent words like proud um, and things like that, where he's, he, he's obviously wanted to emphasise them, which is quite nice, but he's underlined them with like a mark pen. People were building up an agenda here that this is what Britain is about, our police protecting the streets. But again, it's a political agenda rather than human reaction to a man whose life has changed forever. Do you know what's funny, Tony? Having spoke to David, he felt more connected to Prince of Wales, now King Charles III, than he did with any of them other people he met because the conversation that he had with him, David said, was genuine. And I think he even he sent him a bottle of whiskey from his own estate. Yeah, I, that is true. Um, both the whiskey and the portrayal of the conversation. The point that, that needs to be sort of made from that is there are genuine people along the path that David's travelled and David did meet a few. Fortunately, he met more that were sort of solely in it for themselves and I think that with everything else clearly leads to the final outcome of where David ended up. David wanted the the book in the first you know when you open a book you get like a couple of blank pages and then it'll say to Kath Ash and Mia and then you get another blank page I don't really understand why publishing does that but David wanted the line about the kindness of strangers on one of those pages and ordinary people I mean that respectfully did behave exceptionally towards David Darren is correct that there are people who whilst David was having his 15 minutes of fame also chose to enter his life for 15 minutes and didn't stay yeah. Of course. That was 15 minutes for gain, I think that was called, Tony. Nicely put. Thank you. I obviously am very close to this story. Darren obviously is very close to this story. I watch a lot of media coverage about a wide variety of events. There are obviously cases that in the modern world of clickbait, where a newspaper headline encourages you to click on a story so you'll see advertising that makes commercial revenue and the story doesn't represent what the headline was selling you, there are story... McCann's, again, is a, is a terrific example of that. So many words written. Feeding frenzy is correct. I couldn't write a very long list of stories 
stories that are lives that has had this amount of baiting, this amount of coverage. And when you think there's nothing else that can be written, here we go again. And it is true that if you ever have a conversation with a national newspaper, they are still very interested in this. And back then, they would publish anything. And that means, as we said at the start, about David and about Moat. Uh, you couldn't make it up. I'm expecting tomorrow to be the article that he's got a, a secret love child that's been adopted. I know mean, you couldn't make it up. Oh, it made me laugh, yeah. It's just, just, the whole thing's just completely, well, I can't even, surreal's not even the right word for it. Yeah, and Raoul Mo, he did, Raoul Mo never wanted people to know because it would just completely annihilate his bouncer reputation. I'm waiting for Sam Stobart to be my long-lost sister or something. <laughs> That'll be the next thing. Or I've got, um, you know, I, 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 honestly, you, I, I just dread to think what's going to come out tomorrow. And that was an article supposedly about Moat's gay lover. I didn't read that one. I don't know if it's true, but there is an interesting point there in that, you know, when I say I don't know if it's true, we get to the point, journalists get to the point where, dare I say it, it almost doesn't matter. As they say, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So the goalposts move bit by bit. They don't make a massive jump from A to Z in one go. They move from A to B, the X-rays, for the reasons that we've discussed, B to C, C to D, and then suddenly we find ourselves reading stuff like that that is so far away from where we started the relationship with the press. And the principal reason that David wanted to do the book was... Well, he taught me something here, which I now say to all my clients. He said, I just want to go on the record. I don't care if one person reads my book. I want this to be the definitive version that outlives me. And I always say to people now, can you please care if you sell more than one copy of your book? Because you will go on the record to as many people as possible if you do care. But obviously, one would like to make some income for the work that is, is put into it. But it is true that, like these podcasts, which I suppose accompany that book, we represent David and we don't represent the nonsense. And the humour of David, when we've completed the book, which is July 2011, here we go. I actually sat here and thought I want to get two copies I want to write to the, I want to put on the front cover two Ness um, have a great life you're not so clever now best regards PC Raff Band and then do the same to a one wrap them in brown paper and then I'm going to send them to the prison and one thing that the editor Sam Carter at Bikeback Publishing put on a little note to me and we were right up against the deadline, the book coming out on the first anniversary. I mean, three days before, he's still going through it. And Sam sent me a lovely note about how the humour in the book. And these are moments that we've referred to in previous episodes, Chicken Wraps, Badger's Hat. 
shone through. And I think that's also important because this is a grim story, but you do need light and shade too. It's quite good. I, I love it, some of the bits you've used. It's funny. So he was happy with that, and I think it, I think it did him justice. I think, Tony, as well, if you look at that book, that's, and you're saying about narratives, if you look at your book with David, that's purely based on, on his account of what's happened and his feelings and thoughts. After that, you get all this smoke from other people, and the story changes. The story changes from David, the policeman that shot left dying on the floor, everybody rallied behind him, to David, the man who had numerous affairs, treated his wife inhumanely and created domestic violence issues, and then later killed himself. So you, you see that narrative change, that positive move towards David then becomes negative to the stage where the press at the, the North East run basically ignored David, they walked straight past him. Yes, good point and the correct time to make it as well because the book comes out July 2011 but we can almost pinpoint to the moment that everything went horribly wrong. I'm seeing in front of me an article the 26th of August 2011 and just to clarify when I say horribly wrong I mean in that relationship with the press you build them up and you knock them down we've all heard that. I'll come to that in a second there are a couple of events that happen before that book and before that tide turns London Marathon being one of them and wow I've done uh, maybe 15 half marathons I don't have another yard left in me at the end of it how he summoned up the mental because a lot of long distance running is in the mind and physical whilst being blind six hours pounding the streets of London that April an extraordinary achievement was he was he always a pretty fit guy he, he kept reasonably fit because of his referee but I wouldn't say it was marathon fit he started training <laughs> in his garage Tony on a treadmill and then developed a, one of his neighbours Kerry Marshall who was a really really good tonic for David and supported him right from the start Kerry would go out running with him and be his guide. So she assisted him getting up to fitness, and he was determined to do that marathon. She said, I'll crawl around it. Even if I, the string broke, so I'll crawl around, I'll find the end of something. Well, that is testimony to one very crucial understanding of who David Rathbun was, is, and that is the mental strength the bloody-mindedness and seeing the job through. And, of course, he was raising funds for the Blue Lamp Foundation, the charity which Darren founded with their long-term friend, Paul Johnson. I think we should devote some time to the charity in an episode ahead. We fast-forward from the London Marathon I recall the day because I was ringing him, ringing him and ringing him. And it's six and a half hours. And I'm thinking, 
you must be done. Are you okay? Are you okay? And then finally, I, I got word that he'd made it and he was exhilarated, as everybody is that completes a long distance race. It gives you such a wonderful buzz. It's the most beautiful thing for the mind. No pain, no gain. A lot of pain and a lot of gain on that day. So that's Easter. The book is July. We worked on that really from January to, as I say, almost up to the point that it's released. Now, trains colliding and all that, it was my 40th birthday. I was at home in Lim, Cheshire, and I watched David on Sky News being interviewed by Colin Brazier, who I really respect. And it was an interview where I thought the journalist was pure, honest, and had enough integrity to get to the heart of who David was, again, cutting out all the noise. And I sat there on my couch looking at Amazon's rankings. Amazon's rankings change hourly. And the book overnight went to something like 42 on Amazon. There are 6 million books, or there were at the time, on Amazon. I spent my 40th birthday just sitting there watching with pride. Trains on a collision course, my world was about to fall apart then. Within a week, I had left the radio station. My wife wished to follow the same direction towards me. And as quickly as the book rises the charts, the descent in public life, and indeed, for my own fate, arrives very, very quickly. And we come to what Darren just mentioned a few moments ago. Article 26th of August, 2011. PC David Rathban arrested over assault. And in the same way that in the episode, The Night in Question, we tried to chart where this story began, whether it be Chris Brown's shooting whether it be alerting Northumbria police and them taking no notice to Moat's intentions, or whether it be the arrest previously when David had pulled Moat over on a scrap metal charge. If we are to look at the beginning of the end, Darren, you might feel differently, but just six weeks before this, we are riding high on the first anniversary. I think this moment is the beginning of the end yeah i've said that from the start tony and if you if you actually look at any of the press stories prior to this date nothing mentions anything of david and kath's relationship in anything other than a positive light and that includes kath and her comments and quotes in the paper and just let's put it into context as well tony and the start of the end is is this moment the negative press following that David got from this basically helped in his demise. And I'll always say that. And it was a false story. That's to come. Plus two trips to Australia. Next time on the Rathband Tapes. I'll be, I'll be forgotten. You can leave the police on a Friday after 30 years of service and be forgotten by the following. So, remember, everybody has a story. 
To find out more, please visit secretsofaghostwriter.com and to comment on this episode, head to the Secrets of a Ghostwriter Facebook page. With thanks to Rob Jones at Ultimate Content, this is a Horny Media and Publishing production. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.